Hello everyone, I'm Kim Shackles, the ANZ Business Bank Regional Executive in Western Australia. On behalf of ANZ, I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise the continuing connection to land, skies and waterways. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders culture and to Elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for joining this webinar on strategies for growing revenue and margin. This session has been recorded so that it can be shared with those who weren't able to make it with us today. Over 200 people have signed up for this webinar and others who aren't able to attend asked if they could listen to it later. So we've agreed to record the session. Today's webinar is an example of ANZ's commitment to help build communities where individuals thrive and business owners learn how to start, run, grow their companies. Having worked with thousands of companies, we at ANZ have come to realise that successful growth-orientated business owners, CEOs, MDs, have a common set of characteristics. They have a passion for solving a problem and a drive to succeed. They face reality and develop solutions to problems as quickly as possible. They have the mental tenacity to push through hard times and resilience to bounce back. They understand how to lead and manage people. They are focused on understanding what their customers value and how to, how to market and sell that value. And they understand how to ramp revenue, maintain or increase margins, and when to make the constant conscious decision to sacrifice margin and or revenue in the short term in order to launch a disruptive product with a good return on investment over the long term. We have three guests today. Bo Salek, business owner of Prime Hyde, an ANZ customer who two years ago graduated from the ANZ business growth program that Dr. Jana Matthews designed and directs. With Grant Inches, CEO of Virtus House, a purveyor of spices, teas and home furnishings, who also graduated from the ANZ Business Growth Program just a month ago. And special guest is Dr. Yana Matthews, who will facilitate the discussion with our two guests. Dr. Yana studied at the University of London, did graduate work at Hale University, has a doctorate from Harvard University, and is internationally recognized expert on entrepreneurial leadership and business growth. She is the ANZ Chair in Business Growth, during her career, Dr. Yana has founded and invested in several companies and has worked with hundreds of CEOs and leadership teams all over the world, including the USA, UK, New Zealand, Australia, India, China and Singapore. She has been the global thought leader for SAP, was the founding team was on the founding team of the Kaufman Foundation Centre for Entrepreneurial Leadership, was named one of the 18 women business gurus in the world, and is a member of the International Women's Forum. In 2018, she was named one of the leading women in Australian innovation ecosystem, and that same year, the AFR named her one of the 100 women of influence in Australia. Welcome, Dr. Jana. Kim, Bo and Grant and I are delighted to be doing this ANZ seminar on growing revenue and margin. And given the number of registrants, I think it's a really popular topic. Special thanks to ANZ for being a founding sponsor of our center. Our center is the Center for Business Growth, the Australian Center for Business Growth. And our mission from day one has been to help CEOs and their executive teams learn how to grow, how to grow their companies because growing companies create jobs, and that's what creates thriving communities. The fact that ANZ's mission and the center's mission are so aligned is one reason why I think we're a deep and mutually beneficial relationship over so many years, eight years now. Our programs are designed for small and medium-sized companies. Small are those with five to 19, and medium are those with 20 to 199 employees. Why? 
because we believe that that is the, the, the fulcrum, the center point for the economy. And there are 275,000 companies roughly um, out of 2.4 million companies in Australia. So it's a small little group that will be the leverage point for the economy. We, we talk about Australia being a nation of small business, but surely we don't want companies to stay small. Surely we want them to grow and, and grow bigger and add more people and more employees. But if we want that, we have a lot of work to do because only 25% of Australian companies have revenue of more than $50,000 and only 3% have revenues of more than 5 million per year. So that's why we are focused on this point this very small point of companies, because we think that that will enable us to teach them what to do, when, why, and in what order, in order to be able to grow. And that will be a huge difference, not only in terms of numbers of people employed, but also in terms of our economy. So the guests today, as Kim had said, are graduates of our program, Bo Selleck, Managing Director of Prime Hyde Australia, graduated two years ago, and Bill and Michelle came to Australia from South Africa, and they came in 29, I believe you said, in the GFC. And they have grown Prime Hyde a lot since attending the Business Growth Program. And recently purchased a company all the way across the country in Brizzy. So Bo, tell us a little bit about what Prime Hyde does and how you got into this business and what intrigues you about manufacturing hydraulic products. Oh, thanks, Jana, and thanks, Kim. Um, I must say, it's, it's it's an honor to be on this uh, podcast. I, I never thought I'd be on a podcast like this and um, tell you what I've done so far. So, um, yeah, Michelle and I came over in 2008. This was just prior to the GFC. Um, came, came to have a look at Perth. My brother lives here. And um, driving along West Coast Highway, stopped the car, and I actually asked Michelle, is there any reason why we shouldn't live here? She couldn't find a reason for that. So we decided, okay, that's it. We're um, going to go sell, sell up in South Africa. I had a business there, uh, just very successful business. Um, we looked in the skill shortage list, and fortunately, I had one skill there. Uh, so we pursued with our application. Um, so we got to Perth and I had to buy myself a job because I'm not employable. Okay? Um, trust me, you don't want me to work for you any, anyway. Um, so we bought a little company called Prime Motion and Control, which had six people. This company, um, it, it, it was still quite stagnant because GFC happened then. Um, think, uh, people were very scared of growing businesses. I was scared of growing businesses because my whole uh, life was invested in that business. Um, you know, things things didn't ramp up too much, but eventually the economy got better. Um, yeah, so what intrigued me about that business was a manufacturing dream because they had these beautiful CNC machines and, um, you know, and I just love manufacturing and the design. Uh, needless to say, I still can't turn one of those machines on. You know, that, that's, that's for the clever people. Um, so for those of you who don't really know what hydraulics is, um, I can safely say hydraulics is used in every aspect of our modern lives. Um, if, if, for instance, you take air travel, that bridge that you walk onto the airplane, that's all driven by hydraulics. Um, because if people it'll come back, okay, it'll just up and down. Even while the plane is being loaded, okay, the plane drops in with, uh, through suspension, which will also have a sensor to drop down, and that's all done hydraulically. Um, the conveyor belt taking the um, luggage in, into the hold, the uh, scissor lift taking the food up to the to the top. That that that's all done hydraulically. Um, I think you'll see every day um, you, you'll be driving behind a garbage truck. Now that's full of hydraulics. Um, so. Maybe just to give you an example of what we do is that we don't build garbage trucks, okay? But we'll supply the hydraulics that goes into that garbage truck. There'll be um, cylinders, there'll be valves, there'll be pumps. Um, so anything that, 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 that creates that power behind it. Um, 
a lot of times we don't actually know what we manufacture. So um, a customer will come to us and he'll say he needs something that will perform this function. He'll say, okay, great. We've we got valves that will make that uh, function work. And then we, we take a lump of steel, uh, we machine it, and I'll just show you an example here. So here is a hydraulic manifold. It's got some valves in there. That, you know, the, 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 these are all different valves. There's a relief valve there, there's some plugs here, and so on, so on. So we'll turn this lump of steel into something like that, and this will perform a certain function on, on the truck. Awesome. So, um, yeah, yeah. So um, we've we've grown our business um, by acquisition, um, you know, and, and and organic growth. So in 2015, we um, got approached with a rookie, uh, with a risky opportunity. Um, I think a lot of these uh, customers couldn't really survive the tough times because. In that period, I don't know if some of you remember, but things were tough then, and um, the iron ore price dropped down below forty dollars a ton, um, and some companies just couldn't survive. So we got this company called Hydraulics Manifold Australia, um, took them on board, uh, big transition, brought all the machines over to us, um, but we were very lucky because we got some good products and a great customer base. Okay. They, 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 their reputation and the systems was very good. So we adopted all that. It was fantastic. Um, in the same time, there was another company that went into administration. And um, we, 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 our vision was that because after one, one, one of our customers, but they were getting the bulk of the customer. And um, um, yeah, so today yeah, that, so that, today, that, that is doing very well. It's uh, servicing two of our top ten customers, which is really, really good, really, really good, and, and profitable, profitable within reason. That's um, awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Bo. I think we're going to have to move on to Grant, unless you want to give us one more little vignette here. No, I'm happy. Okay, okay. All right. Well, um, I think it's. It's good to see the passion that you have for what you do and understand, because we'll come back to that later in the webinar, sort of how you've managed to develop some new products and actually grow your revenue by acquisition. So that's good. So, so Grant, um, CEO of Wirtz started by two sisters, um, and all you, although you have 10 stores, including one in Adelaide, um, I spent almost $1,000 on spices and, and, and spice advent calendars I'm so excited, um, uh, which is in addition to what you have, of course, on the shelf. So tell us a story and how you got involved and how much you've grown and what keeps you intrigued. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Yana. Thank you, Yana. Kim and Zed as well. Kavirtas well. started, started um, it was, it was back, in back in 2010. I'm sorry, I'm getting a lot of reference. Can you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. Great. Um, yeah, so Gewurz House, we started back in 2010. I actually joined the business four years later in, in 2014. Um, the, the business exists to provide inspiration essentially, and our goal is to nurture people to cook at home. Um, and we really believe that's that's quite important. And for us, we've chosen spices as the vessel for us to do that in. Um, so our product offering is, is a pretty wide range of proprietary herb and spice blends. Uh, and we also have a range of associated merchandise. Um, we do have, we actually have 11 stores. We're, we're soon to be 12 stores. We also operate an online store as well. Um, and I think, Back in 2014, the, the business was, was quite young. There were three stores. Three stores opened quite quickly. Um, and it was the sort of business at the time that you, you couldn't stop hearing about it. Where you looked, someone was mentioning it and talking about it. And uh, a staff member of mine actually purchased a, a gift for me for my birthday. And I thought it was such a thoughtful gift because they knew I enjoyed cooking. And um, I got three little bags of, of different spice blends that I'd never heard about and never cooked with. And, um, 
I just thought that was such a, a great idea and something that no one else was doing anything like um, in Australia in particular. Um, and I connected with Eva and Mary through, um, through some events and functions and knew them and, and we got talking and one thing led to another and eight years later here I sit with 11 stores behind us and um, yeah and, and a really great product offering um, which seems to be resonating really well. Um, I think for me the, the connection with food has um, always been in my career and, and in my passion but particularly the, the opportunity that we have to, to influence what people are are producing at home and the quality of food that they consume in and feed into their family and loved ones is a is a really deep passion of, of what we're we're striving to do. Um, our growth has has not been linear, it's been like steps. So we seem to open two stores at once and then we might go to a month without opening the store and then another two might come at once and that's just the nature of retail. You are at the mercy of, of landlords and opportunities and they don't necessarily come in a really nice linear path, so that's something we've, we've really had to adapt to. Um, and we've got some really exciting growth plans for, for the years to come as well. Thanks, Grant. That's um, having been to your stores now and been to the online site and starting to do more cooking myself because of this. Thank you very much. I can totally appreciate what you've done. Okay, so we have some background on each of our CEOs. We understand what they do, and uh, this will be important as we're talking about ways to grow uh, both um, revenue and margin because they are doing it in different ways, and both of those ways work. So the webinars are an opportunity inside the heads of some CEOs and to understand how they think. It's not what they do, but it's how they think about what they did and the choices that they made. And then we have also created a tool that is downloadable that you can use afterwards to ask some of the questions of yourself that we'll be asking here in the webinar. Okay, so before we begin with more kind of analysis of margin and so forth, let me do a little stage setting because you really can't do what we're suggesting that you do in terms of increasing margin and revenue before you've done the basics of what I call the three C's. Who's your company? What are your special skills? What's special about you? What's your competitive advantage? Uh, an honest assessment of what your secret sauce is. What's your mission, your values, your vision? Who are you? This becomes essential before you can figure out how you're gonna increase margin because who you are will then depend on which customers you go after, which markets you go into and so on. The second would be who are your current customers and what is it they need, want and value and who are the prospective customers and what do they value? Because that will inform you about new products or services that they would like to have, which will attract them to your company. Third issue is who are the competitors? Who are your current customers or prospects already buying from and why? And do you know what they offer that you don't so that you can figure out what it is that you need to add to your arsenal? And then finally, what's the size of the addressable market? Now, in the case of people who want to cook, this is probably half of the population of Australia, perhaps, perhaps more. In the case of people who will be using what it is that, uh, that Bo's developing, he has to do some pretty specific market research because that's a much smaller number Although, as you described it, a much bigger number than I'd originally thought of people who are actually using hydraulics, companies using hydraulics. So if your market's too small, stay home until you can find a larger market that makes it worth it. If it's too big, you could run into what we call the boil the ocean as you're trying to find out who are those companies. It takes a very long time to boil the ocean. So it's really important to begin to do market segmentation early on. Who are the customers? What are their characteristics? How do I find them? Where are they located? And so on. So they have had to think through um, the strategy, both our CEOs today, they've had to think through how to increase revenue and margin, and they've done some thinking about what I'm just gonna tick off very quickly here. First is one easy strategy is just to raise your price. Um, if you can keep your expenses constant and just raise your price, just even 2%, that'll grow right to the bottom line. Now, of course, if you have people on commission, then you have to divide some of that with the people on commission, but nevertheless, an easy way is simply raise your price. Second known is market penetration. 
which is to sell more to the current customers that you're already selling to or sell to people who are just like the current customers. So when I go to the Gewurz House um, little store in the Central Market Saturday, I bring along with me somebody else who likes to cook and he bought some spices to take home and now he's gonna be cooking at home as well. Never heard about Gewurz House before, but he's like me and so we've expanded the segment that will be interested in Gewurz House because we brought along some other people just like me. So Grant, walk us through the strategies that you used at Gewurz House to sell more to current customers and help them or help you either way, find more people like them to bring along and to understand and buy your product. Yeah, definitely. I think for everyone, this should be the same. It's an area that we never rest on. Uh, I think it's something, you know, our, our success today, we can't take for granted, we'll continue tomorrow. So it's something that we're always thinking about and, and trying to refine and, and really looking at our successes and failures each week carefully to, to understand in, in a retail business, our customer is immediate. We're talking to them every, every day, so we get that immediate feedback. Um, and for us, I think specifically product development has been really critical for us and to, to continue to evolve and develop new products at, at a reasonable pace. Um, I think in the food side, if you if you take um, bakeries and patisseries, for example, and, and the ones that are doing this really well, they're constantly giving you a reason to, to go back to try something new that um, that you really don't want to miss out on. And and I think the strategy for us is is developing new exciting products that get people to come back to us or that they share with friends and bring new customers. And hopefully, what we're doing is we're we're building a list of favourite products from them every time. So customer that starts with with one product and we onboard them with that one and they they start cooking with that we then add another one and another one and another one so over time our strategy is to i suppose invade their pantry more and more with with our products and and like you said everyone eats not everyone cooks but probably half of the population cook um and our product range is really diverse and we keep on developing it to, to enter new parts of of that repertoire of cooking um, to continue to, to grow that. So that's been one really important strategy that um, we've been really focused on the last few years. Um, the other part of our strategy is really around the gifting part. So um, Yana, you mentioned bringing your friend into the store and you know, for us, cooking is an everyday task and, and for sometimes, it, some people it can be a chore, some people do it for fun on the weekends, but the other element for us is gifting everyone almost everyone has a friend that loves cooking or loves being in the kitchen. So we've really developed a strategy of, of associated merchandise um, that sits well with cooking. Um, we Christmas time for us is really critical. We do a lot of, of gift packs where we package up our spices with recipe cards um, and put in some beautiful packaging. And we've really added an element to the business that, that conceptually at the start might not have been something that uh, an everyday spice business might think about doing, but um, adding on that that new segment, so selling more to the to our same customers. And I think, like you said, Yana, just thinking about what our our customers' potential needs and wants are, and trying to fulfil that within the banner of our brand has been really important. Um, you mentioned the advent calendar; that's another good example. Um, not necessarily gifting, not necessarily everyday cooking, but identifying this this concept of of the advent calendar and how we can play with that in our space and, and that's something that's that's really resonated and, and worked. Um, I think it then extends some really tactical elements as well. In this day and age, digital marketing is, is really critical and, and one thing I I would really encourage everyone to think about is if, if you're not very active in digital marketing right now, you're potentially leaving a lot on the table because you could think of your business like it's an oasis in the middle of the desert and no one knows about it and no one can get to it. So digital marketing is to, to put your business out there in front of people. Um, so in the last few years, really maturing our, our learning and understanding of the digital marketing umbrella and, and how it all ebbs and flows together and the importance of all the different elements of, of digital marketing and, and understanding that it has really helped shape our results in the last few years. And, that was something pre-COVID that we weren't very good at doing and COVID really forced us to, to evaluate how we're going to reach people when our stores are closed. Um, and from that, we've, we've driven a very strong digital marketing 
capability strategy and we're getting really great returns from that. So um, I think that that consists of an email marketing strategy, it consists of um, advertising through Google, Facebook, um, etc. And I know that can sound scary as you know, early days in the business, we, we never paid for advertising in that traditional sense. We never wanted to. Word of mouth was our number one driver and, and still is really critically important. Um, you, you need to think of digital marketing not as you used to think of paid advertising in a magazine. It's very different and, and very important. So that's been really critical for us. Um, and probably the last thing I'll mention is loyalty. So um, building loyalty with our, our customers is really critical. To get that word of mouth, we have to build trust um, and we, we work really hard at that. So we implemented what we call our Spice Club and we we subscribe our customers to that and we, we send them free recipes and we give them access to exclusive events or early product launches um, and free shipping events as well. And um, an extension of that, we, we have a cooking community on Facebook, which is something that we've launched really not as a, a marketing driver for the business, but just to build that community around food and our customers drive and engage on that every day. And that's something that um, is a part of our strategy to, to build a benefit back to our customer that's um, outside of just the transaction. So yeah, I think really thinking about how you can build your tribe and build that loyalty with, with your tribe um, perpetuates that growth as well. Mm. Well, those are some great ideas. In fact, you've even introduced the adding new products to your customers, which is the second way that we would be talking about. So, Bo, let's cycle back to you and talk a little bit about what you've done to generate revenue. And and I know that you tried Facebook on COVID and, and we all said, no way. In fact, I think you said no way. And yes, way. People actually did buy on Facebook a hydraulic product, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, John. I really wish we could sell more um, to our customers, but because we're a bit niche, it's um, it's difficult. So we we always train our sales staff saying, okay, well, go out there and and get a basket from this customer because um, you know we 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 we'll make something, but the customer doesn't know that we also produce that thing or we sell that part or we import such and such. So it's just. Um, information that the customer needs uh, we've also done this through through the website um, yeah so if you don't go digital as grant said and then you're going to leave lots on the table um, yeah so we, we we've actually gone to the point where we can have a portal for the customer so if we have a product that we manufacture for him on you know, on a regular basis he can log into the portal and see what's in stock and what his price is and um, if there's any uh, related products for that particular valve or pump um, so you can just click on there so it's it's it's, it's just taking that little step further to almost think for the uh, customer so um, when the guys go out there we, we always um, focus on quality service and cost of ownership okay um, so once we've got cost of ownership for that particular part of the machinery, okay, it's ours and stays ours. So if something goes wrong, okay, he, he can't go elsewhere. And fortunately, he, yeah, the, the, the customer will never go elsewhere because our quality is so good, hopefully. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it just takes a little bit of convincing to, to show the guy why it's good for us to have the cost of ownership on that uh, product. Um, it might be a little bit more expensive right now, but his bottom line will show uh, much less. Um, now, the, it, there's also a fine line of what we can and what we should supply. Um, hydraulics is very, very wide, so you can start supplying things like hoses, which is the entry level into hydraulics. Okay, Every single system has got a hydraulic hose, but it's it's a massive inventory. Um, very complicated um, and it's very competitive so we'll we, we decided to stay out of that um, and then we've also got new products you know uh, somebody said well sh shouldn't we be, be selling some oil or should we be selling some uh, electronics and yeah that's fine to, to, to sell those things but electronics is an evolution it just changes every month okay every week you know you think you've got something new but no 
<laughs> it's um, it's all within a few uh, within a few months. Um, so back to the website and the and Google. So we we actually did a um, analytics on our website, and over a couple of weeks we had 825 visits. Um, out of that, it was broken down, and um, our organic search was 51%. Our paid search was 36%. Direct customers, okay, or direct search, so these are our current customers, that's 11%. And then, um, yes, yeah, sad to say, social media on our side is uh, less than 2%. So, yes, so although mean- we had one or two sales out of social media, Facebook, but it's not our type of thing. So we, we're not gonna put money into social media and focus on the uh, organic search, page search and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so oftentimes B2B doesn't. Um, so it's, it, it tends to be much more of a person describing a complicated product. Um, and that's in some ways what yours, yours is. So. When you came to the clinic, one of the things I was so impressed is that you actually brought along your spreadsheets where you were actually tracking which profitability, which issues, what, what kind of data that you were tracking on the, the development and manufacturing of your products. And so when we talk about growing revenue as well as margin, you're looking at some of those things that could eat away margins, right? Overruns on manufacturing or wrong placement or wrong marketing or wrong whatever. So how, how are you actually looking at and what are you doing to make sure that you keep your margins up or increase your margins? Yeah, Jana, so about 60% of our business is manufacture, okay? So that also means a lot of procurement comes in from the manufacturing side. So um, there's a big difference between procurement and buying, okay? So, um, Purchasing focuses on the cost of the order, while procurement focuses on the value of creation, the total cost of ownership. Okay, so we'll go to a supplier and we say, okay, well, we want this, that, that, that. And the same, and our customers will also want the same from us. So if you can sort out your procurement, okay, um, there's, you actually uh, mitigate the risk for um, any in any blowouts, um, there's contract compliance, there's cost savings, there's ongoing uh, supplier relationships, um, there's new products that the supplier would have that you can bring in. Um, we, and we have very good relationships with our suppliers, whether they uh, local or abroad. We still go out and we'll do an audit on them, make sure that they are capable of I mean, anybody can go down, down down to your local Bunnings and get a, a widget okay, for, for 20 cents. Okay? But if you need to buy uh, a thousand widgets, Bunnings won't negotiate with you on that. Okay? So it's a negotiation and just having that, that tool to, or, the, or that uh, buying power. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing we've done is we've run a few campaigns because Manufacturing can be so expensive, and especially in Australia, very expensive. If you waste man hours, people hours, should I say? Um, and we, we we monitor that, and we kind of put everything onto the data sheet. Um, you know, we we got gauges on which machine has has been running. We we because uh, our machines are CNCs, um, and we got eight CNC machines. Uh, most of them we can run unmanned. So we'll um, lo- load the machines up and hopefully uh, by the end of the day, you can press the button and it will run overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing we need to, we also focused on is, um, to I'm trying to find what it is, um, ah, but things like solar, you know, going green um, because the, Investments there, but but you don't need to pay off. Um, you know, if you buy yourself an EV, okay, great. You know, it's expensive right now, but remember mm-hmm. that those things are built for for a million kilometers, and mm-hmm. uh, the only thing you ever have to change is is brake pads and um, and tires. Okay, so that that's an ongoing investment. When when we buy tools for our machines, okay, 
buy the expensive one, okay? But make sure that, that the expensive one is going to last five times longer than the, than the ordinary drill bit. Right. Um, so this is where Kim talked about in the beginning, where you're making some choices to sacrifice in the short-term margin because on the long-term, it's a better investment and you'll get more return on the investment over time. And those are some of the decisions that you make, um, both with, when you're uh, B2B or B2C, either one. Yeah. So let's, sorry. let's come. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, the word I was actually looking for was non-inflationary investments. So if you buy yeah. solar panels, okay, that, that, that's your first investment, but then it'll last for 10 years, whatever the life is of the solar panels. And, um, you know, we, 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 we got almost 75 kilowatts on our roof and we do consume a lot of power. And, 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 and right now, um, energy is very expensive. So we've um, scored that and, and we can be competitive against other people because we've invested in those type of things. So, and we've invested in expensive tooling, good tooling that, that will run uh, much quicker. So in, in half the time of a normal drill bit, we'll be able to get something with, that's got coolant going through it. Instance. Right. So those are really sets of decisions that you make as an owner in terms of the trade-offs that you're willing to make. And, and so you trade off maybe a little bit of revenue now where you're retooling or you buy a more expensive piece of equipment, which you amortize over a little longer period of time, but that enables you then to make more, make it more quickly or have a higher um, quality assurance, whatever. And, and again, those are things that decisions that you make. If you go to IKEA, they made a different set of decisions. But for you, that's the set that you have made in your company. Yeah. So let's so, kind of keep going. Otherwise, we won't get time for our pearls of wisdom here at the end. Um, so you can either sell more to your current customers. You can bring in some new products to sell to your current customers. Or you can go into brand new markets. And, and go to either new locations or new markets. So Grant, you've gone to now 11 locations and that's certainly a risk. It's more of a risk because you're having to figure out a place and do the rentals and negotiate with the landlord and hope people will come and hope you have the right spices for the people in the community. So how do you think about that as you're opening new stores and where to place them and what kind of profitability, what, what short term are you willing to sacrifice for the long term? How do you think about opening up new stores with new products in two new markets or current products to new markets? Yeah, <clears throat> I think for us, and it's firstly about understanding what's making us successful or, or conversely unsuccessful in another location. So um, our growth has been quite strategic with these first 11 stores. We, we've got a mix We've got some stores on high streets. We've got some stores in markets. We've got some stores in shopping centres such as Chadston. Um, and we've just opened a regional store in Hillsville as, as well. And this strategy has been about getting information to understand how these stores trade in these different scenarios and keeping in mind that each of them have very different propositions. You know, Hillsville will never take the revenue that would take at Chadston, but the rent will never be what it is at Chadston either. Um, so critically for us from a new market, new store location, really understanding why we have success or not in other locations and, and then basically we, we take those learnings and we overlay data, uh, which is really important. So we, we will access foot traffic data. So we, we work with a partner who have sensors that we can put into the new location for a few weeks to, to measure the amount of people that walk past the store. Um, and we use that metric against our most similar stores to, to estimate how many of those people would walk in the door and then how many of those would shop. And we look at our average transaction value to, to net out essentially what we think the revenue of the store would be. Um, we do all of that and we basically come up with a, a low end, so worst KPIs that we, we would ever perform and then best KPIs and we come up with a a pretty broad spectrum of trade. We make sure that we can hit our minimum hurdle rate on the bottom end. Um, and if we do that, it gets a green light from the, the, the data phase. Um, that hurdle rate is, is really critical in retail. We sign a lease that is three, five or six years. Um, if we can't pay back the fit out in the first 12 months, we also probably won't do the store. Um, 
and I think that's really critical in that decision making as well. I think sometimes there are these incredible fit outs that cost millions of dollars and I often sit there and wonder what's their hurdle rate because it's probably longer than the term of the lease um, and therefore why do it because there's no certainty at the term of the lease, the landlords have a habit of moving you. Um, so I think removing the emotion from this stage is really important and having some really factual elements to that decision making process. And then I think overlaying the emotional part. So for us in our business, um, we really do trust our gut still and we like to go to the location and spend a day or a couple of days in the location um, watching how the people walk and shop and, and is it a group of people with no shopping bags or is everyone actually spending and shopping? Do these look and feel like our customers? Um, so we still absolutely overlay our gut and our instinct to that decision as well. We put the two together um, and often it's pretty clear what the answer should be. Um, so I think that's that's really important for us as to, to how we we go about that. Um, and from a product side, Jana, I think we still definitely are very intuitive. We all um, we all drink the Kool-Aid as such. We, we all cook. Um, we're all very passionate home cooks. Um, so often our product development comes from what would we like and what do we think is, is missing. And, um, you know, we have a very creative business. Most people in our business are very creative and there's never a shortage of an idea. So um, we, we use that internal sense check as well. Does it make sense? Is everyone really instantly excited about an idea? Um, and if not, we're, we're a bit more cautious about how we progress that idea. I mentioned the advent calendar before and um, it was one of our founders, Maria, who walked in and said, I've got this idea and instantly everyone went, yeah, that is a fantastic idea. We have to move heaven and earth to make this happen this year um, because we all just instinctively knew that our customers would love that because we loved it. And you did find out they loved it because you sold out in four minutes, right? It, we did the first. Pretty phenomenal. <laughs> it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you actually don't even know how your customers will love it. And so it's, that's always good news. But then you go like, oh, we could have sold four times as many if we'd only, maybe, how would you have known to order more? Yeah, I think this is the, the risk management side. So we made a very active decision on how many to make in year one and it wasn't a small number and it wasn't a small risk. Um, and we essentially sat back and said, okay, this is a, a really complicated product. Um, there's 24, um, 24 days in the advent, so an individual spice packet in every day and a recipe for every single day. It was non-negotiable that this entire product was home compostable. So you could take the entire product, packaging and all, and put it in the home compost and it would, and it would break down. So those guiding principles made this product extremely expensive for year one because we had to test the idea before we went all in. So we capped the number very strategically to test um, whether we would get a good response and get the, the volume. Um, and then this year we have sold four times more um, and this year we, we went a bit harder with that forecast because we, we had the, the learnings from year one um, and this year we've, we've been able to focus on efficiencies and so we've improved our margin um, and you know four probably actually more like five times the sales at the moment. So that's, that's it. That's learning all the time. Well, I'm doing my best. I bought five of them. So <laughs> I'm doing my best here. I think it's a, product. So, Bo, let's see, I'm watching the clock. Let's move on to um, your bought company all the way across the country. And, and that's one way you're going into a new market with your new products or their products. You're selling your own products. Um, so walk us through that thought process a little bit, and then we'll probably cycle over to your pearls of wisdom. Yeah, Jana, so um, when, when you graduated from your course um, two years ago, we put out our, um, our strategic plan. And one of the plans was to, to grow X amount of times over years. And um, it was, and, and, and how to get there. And one of them was to see if we can buy a business over East, okay, um, and on, on, on the East Coast. So um, we, we, we always had the back of minds and the customer or, the, or, the, or this particular company, um, 
the directors were um, retiring and they decided that they need to sell. And we were first on the list. So they phoned and um, I said, yeah, good. Um, you know, we, we, we made a reasonable offer. In fact, I think his, his price was reasonable as well. Um, we did the due diligence. Uh, my due diligence was to make sure that, you know, he still got customers. He had to go, um, you know, the, um, the managing director still had to be on board for a, for, for a year or so. And, um, and, and the culture was still good. It was difficult to find out where the culture was, you know, because we, we signed a confidentiality agreement that we um, don't really tell anybody. And the staff didn't know about the, uh, the, the sale of the business. Um, so luckily I knew people um, who used to work there, um, you know, my friends or customers. Um, so once I was satisfied, then I gave the numbers over to the clever people and they should, and, and they, um, and their job was to tell me why we shouldn't buy the business. And they couldn't tell me why we shouldn't buy the business. So we bought the business and we took over as of 1st of September. So we've been in it literally six weeks. Um, it has its challenges. Uh, been across the you know other side of the continent. Um, you know, I have racked up a few uh, frequent flyer fly miles. Um, so yes, it it definitely has its challenges. But with the, today's technology, is so good. You know, the way we're sitting here and we're talking through things, um, we can do um, lots of other work through other software. Uh, you know, just jump into the guy's computer and do training that way. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I think so far everything's going well. Um, there's a few teething problems. When you do buy a business or when people sell businesses, um, be, be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, be prepared for one or two people uh, to resign from that business, um, you know, which has happened unfortunately. But it is what it is and we just have to make sure that we bring in our values across to the company um, you know, make sure that our culture and their cultures can 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 mix and meet. Um, but the most important is to make sure that the um, that that the values are, are are upheld as well. Right. So that's looking good, and that's certainly a way to expand to new markets instead of opening up your own store would be to buy another company, such as Bo has done. Um, and then, of course, the last way is where, where we're talking about very disruptive products in brand new markets, and those would tend to be more technology plays. But as soon as possible, you try to get into who are the customers who want this and how do I do market penetration? So if, if you were to sort of summarize what we're trying to say here in terms of just for revenue, um, you raise the price, that will give you more revenue, assuming that you've kept the expenses constant. You're going to sell more to your current customers or to people just like your current customers. And one way to get to them is to have your own current customers bring people along. So the come along, bring a friend to the cooking or tell other people about what you've just bought and how good it is. References and testimonials, it's good. You will sell new products or services to the current customers, sell new your current customers, um, your current markets, products, to brand new markets. So you're going into new markets, new locations or new markets. And then of course there's the, a brand new thing that you're gonna launch that nobody's ever seen before. Uh, one, one could argue that some of the things that you've done are ancillary cousin products um, for the kitchen. The tea towels, for instance, is a sort of a, not exactly a disruptive product, but a new product. I especially like the one that had the pigeon sitting on the statue with the saying, sometimes you're the pigeon and sometimes you're the statue. <laughs> a lot of friends have laughed at that one. Four ways that you in, can increase your profit then include more operational efficiency, which we talked about that Bo had started doing as he's doing his manufacturing and as you're doing as you're looking at the price of spices and how much um, we put in different size bags and which spices and so forth. Be good at the tactical delivery. How do we get things to people more quickly, on time, on budget? Um, as you were testing with your um, spice advent calendars, if it's compostable, 
how, how do we get it packaged and how do we get it to people and how do we make sure they understand, which takes time. So you're, you used last year really as a dry run of a new concept that you then went big time this year, which makes lots of sense. Um, another way is to, if you're going into new markets is to emphasize your differentiator. So a new location, a different price, a different product, the people that you have, or um, if you don't have differentiation, then, then stay home until you do figure out what it, it would be. Because if you're not, you'll be crushed by competitors. You've got to have something that's different that you can talk about being different. Unless you have bought a company in that space and those people will help you get into their current customers and help you develop some new customers. And then of course, depending on how deep your pockets would be whether or not you're going to do new products in brand new markets, and that's the differentiation strategy. Okay, so I asked both of the, uh, Grant and, and Bo to think about pearls of wisdom about growing revenue and margin before we cycle back in just a couple minutes um, to our ANZ host, uh, Kristen. So Bo, you've got three little pearls of wisdom here that you're gonna give us, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yeah, the first one, John, I think you just the, the, this particular one, and that is um, make sure you build a top team and um, ensure that the top team knows what the strategy is. Because yeah, if you don't, if if you're not on the same playing field, then then it's not not going to work. Second one is, you know, and especially in our business and and our salesmen would um, actually support this. Is sales is only a byproduct of what you do right. Okay, you do the right thing, and the rest will follow. Um, and the third one I've used for many years is turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, money in the bank is reality. And that third part, the money in the bank, the reality part is the hard part. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. So, so Grant, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, first on my mind is really having a, a strong sense of purpose for for your business, a strong direction um, is really critical, both for for you, for your staff, and for your customers. You need a, a really strong sense of why you're doing what you're doing. I think that's really, really critical. I think it builds trust um, and loyalty with your customers. Um, and I, I like to think of customer lifetime value. So how much does that one customer spend over their lifetime with you? It's a little bit like compounding interest. So you get one customer, the more you can get them to continue to shop with you, the better. Um, I think continuous development and refinement, uh, like I mentioned at the start, is, is really critical. Um, just really thinking about what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow, um, or it might be able to work better tomorrow. So constant refinement is something that I, I think is really important. Um, and the last one is, is having a plan. And I think in that plan, in the context of this conversation, plan to find efficiency. Um, it's okay to start something that may not be um, perfectly efficient at the start, as long as you have a plan to make it efficient or make it more profitable. Um, I think that's really critical too. Hmm. What great pearls of wisdom. And, and on all of those will definitely increase both margin as well as revenue. I'm so proud of you, graduates, my kids. Kristen, over to you. Thanks, Bo and Grant, very, very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you to Dr. Jana. Thank you to Bo and Grant. It was really, really good, uh, insightful conversation. Uh, wanted to summarise a couple of my quick takeaways. Um, so we reflected at the start, Dr. Jana was talking about the fact that 25% of Australian companies have revenue less than 50,000 per annum, and only 3% of Australian companies have revenue more than $5 million per annum. So there's a great opportunity um, to focus on growth uh, along with margin. Um, we heard a little bit about um, Prime Hide from Bo, um, six star, 2009, uh, around that GSC, B2B business, growth through organic and acquisition, you know, taking advantage of market opportunities to drive those acquisitions. And as we just heard at the end, um, we've done a recent one uh, on the Eastern Seaboard as well. Um, and then we sort of heard a little bit about the Wirtz House, you know, and Grant sort of reflected on his time when he joined the business circa 2014, three stores. It's a B2C business primarily, but I know that's changing. And, you know, Grant sort of found the connection through some bags of spices that were gifted to him. 
um, good cooking spices. And this business now has 11 stores and soon to be 12. You know, he sort of spoke about the fact that, you know, the business is very much a pursuit of passion. It's about cultivating cooking at home. So very strong sense of why. And the growth isn't linear. You know, that store growth, um, you know, very much sometimes develops through the opportunities that arise. Um, and that makes it quite exciting, I'm sure. Um, we then sort of reflected on the theory, you know, that, you know, we can grow revenue through a number of different ways. You know, of course, you can do the very basic way of trying to increase price increases. That sometimes works, sometimes does it, depending on market conditions. But then we sort of dug a little bit deeper, very much around that sort of market penetration and the opportunities to drive that market penetration. You know, Grant sort of spoke about product innovation, um, making sure that there was new and exciting products that are keeping them relevant to their customer base. Um, we reflected on the advent calendar, you know, that sold out in four minutes um, for the first run and how that's built and probably stayed um, or used as a tool to stay connected with the customers. Digital marketing was talked a bit about uh, by Grant, um, Instagram, Facebook, Google Ads, and, and very much sort of seeing that as a different way of paid advertising compared to, you know, probably more traditional forms, um, be it print media, et cetera. Um, the technology behind a lot of that is very advanced. Um, and there's great opportunities to explore that for lots of different businesses, particularly B2C. Um, loyalty was something that Grant spoke about um, that they're heavily investing in with the Spice Club. You know, making sure customers are feeling valued, feeling like they're getting something special um, from that loyalty and sort of being part of a broader community through the cooking community. You know, I, I think that's about sort of growing the tribe associated with Gewurz House. Um, new markets obviously have been penetrated through store openings and Grant sort of spoke a fair bit about the due diligence that they do when they're thinking about opening a new store, not just for using analytics, but, you know, also um, testing that data and findings with good old fashioned management assessment. And Grant sort of spoke about that as the gut. Uh, ultimately, he sort of very much assesses it based on a fit out payback, um, which naturally is a good analytical way to look at it. Bo spoke about market penetration and built a little bit about, or off the, the back of um, Grant's discussion, re social media and website, et cetera, and sort of shared that, you know, as a B2B business, very different. You know, organic search on website traffic's 51%, paid was 36%, direct was 11%, and social's less than 2%. So, you know, um, that obviously is um, relevant to some businesses and relevant to others, depending on B2B or B2C, but also depending on um, ultimately the product and the consumer you're offering to. Um, products, product suite and offering is something that Bo always thinks about, but they also very much think about the viability of that um, and don't sort of just do growth for the sake of growth. Um, Bo sort of spoke about margins and, you know, obviously uh, having a very strong component of manufacturing in the business, procurement and purchasing is really key relationships, buying power are important tools to leverage. And, you know, manufacturing can be expensive when you've got a labour component in there. So very diligent measurement and monitoring of, of product labour or labour productivity, um, and particularly with the focus on automation has been, been key. Um, but I also spoke about, you know, non-inflationary investment, you know, going green, solar panels was one he used as an example, but also just in relation to going for quality um, with the machinery and the tooling and considering, you know, the, the life of the asset and the, the maintenance impact. So very much showing that long-term view. Um, obviously, uh, growth for acquisition, he expanded on a bit, um, you know, and spoke a little bit about the due diligence um, that was involved in that process and sort of added some tips specifically around that being prepared for under the unexpected changes in staff and making sure that you're always staying true to your values and culture and looking for that synergistic alignment. They finished with a couple of pearls of wisdom uh, from Bo was build a top team, strategic alignment key, sales a byproduct of what we do right, turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and bank account is reality. Love that uh, from a banker's perspective. And Grant sort of left us with, you know, having a strong sense of purpose and direction, really nailing the why. Um, and I very much like the, the analogy with the compound interest um, over the length of customer relationships. Um, the second one was continuous development and refinement and just having a plan. So um, really want to thank um, Dr. Jana, Grant Inches, CEO of Gewurz House and Boshalik, CEO of Pride Hyde for their time on behalf of ANZ. Their insights were extraordinarily valuable um, just in relation to how they've developed their strategies for growth and margin. Thanks to everyone that has joined the webinar. For more information about how to manage business growth, you can visit our website at www.anz.com forward slash business growth. 
there are many tools and resources available which ANZ has licensed off the Australian Centre for Business Growth, including interviews with some other company owners who have been through the program. And of course, you can visit the Australian Centre for Business Growth own website to learn more about its programs at www.centreforbusinessgrowth.com. This is going to be our last webinar for 2022. Our next webinar is on Friday, the 21st of February, 2023, where Dr. Jana will be interviewing two different CEOs who have been through the business growth program. And they're going to be talking about the topic of how to get the right people on the bus and how to get the wrong people off the bus. Um, so that's going to be insightful. Um, for those that are brokers um, or accredited finance practitioners, um, there is uh, one CPD point available um, as part of this um, webinar. Uh, through MFAA, um, so um, please look to pursue that. Thank you again for everyone's um, investment of their time. We really value the connection we have with you and we look forward to seeing you on the 21st of February, 2023. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you.